Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. What's up? Good evening. My name is Jared Bone. I'm really excited to be here with you tonight. Hey, before we get started, I want everybody to do an exercise that I've been trying to do. Uh, Everybody's got a mask on. We're going to do something kind of fun. Think of an emotion or something you want to communicate. Look at the person next to you and try to communicate it with just your eyes. Okay? Do it really quick. Look at somebody. Just try to communicate something with your eyes. Now tell them what it was. Even close. I've been like telling people like, like when they tell me a joke, I'm like, I'm smiling. That's funny. That's good. That's good. Guys, it's, it's good to be with you. Like I said, my name is Jared, and I am the Young Adults Pastor here. I'm so excited uh, to be here. Uh, if anybody else is tired of the messages that say, hey, during these unprecedented times, I'm with you. Uh, one of the words that's been over-communicated the last couple of weeks is the term uh, essential, right? Like essential at the beginning of quarantine probably had a lot of meaning to you or none at all. Um, that, that word, like if you're an essential worker, it means you got to go to work. If you weren't an essential worker, you probably got sent home or you had to work from home and it had some big ramifications, right? Uh, and then once quarantine happened, it was like, hey, you have to uh, only go out for essential things. Well, to you, essential might mean a Twix from the gas station, but to someone else, it might just mean uh, groceries, which two pretty different things. Um, but the word essential is pretty important. Uh, The word essential means what's absolutely necessary. It's the absolute necessities. Uh, When I I was talking about this message, and really it's titled, uh, The Gospel is Essential. The Gospel is Essential. I I was like, what's essential? And I started thinking about like when we take a, a weekend trip somewhere, me and my wife with our kids, we'll like just pack the essentials, right? Like if it's just a weekend, you just need like two shirts, a pair of gym shorts to sleep in, one pair of socks, the essentials, that's it. I'm like, listen, I might meet up with some guys and play some basketball. So here's two more pairs of, pairs of shorts. Here's an extra pair of shoes. I, I don't know. I might need, I'm, my feet might get wet. And I hate that. Here's three more pairs of socks. Like I'm bad at, at only packing the essentials. Um, but during quarantine, we started watching a show that um, many of you have probably seen. If not, like you, you probably know about it, know roughly what it is. Um, it's called Survivor. Anybody a Survivor fan in here? A handful. Okay, some of you, guys, I looked it up. It came out in 2000. Who wasn't alive in the year 2000? Anybody? A handful. Okay, all right. Does everybody know what Survivor is? Survivor is a show where they take like 20 people, they drop them on some desert island, some remote place, and they divide them into two tribes, and then they do competitions. Whoever loses the competition has to vote somebody off. And I don't know why I never enjoyed it before, or I never watched it before. I love it. It is incredible to watch uh, the social dynamics of people that are trying to figure out how to live is incredible. It's incredible to watch. Um, there's people that like, I, we're watching one season where it's like heroes versus villains. Anybody with me have seen that? Where there's like, the villains have just like not worried about like setting up camp. They're just like not worried about it. So they're trying to figure out like they're showing up to this competition that they're trying to beat this other team in. And they're like, yeah, we don't really have any fresh water. It's not that big of a deal. Like we don't, we haven't started a fire yet. So we can't like boil water to get clean water. Like some pretty essential stuff. 
Um, and, and the more I watch shows like this, like this and The Bachelor, I'm like, I, I think it's fun to watch the show and thinking about Survivor, it would be fun to go on it. But more than going on it, like the host, I think I would do a good job at that. He's like, he's been doing it for 20 years. He's got to be pushing 70. I think I would do a good job if anybody has any connections. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I would love to throw my name into the, into the ring, my hat in there, just to see if I could be the host of Survivor at one point. Because you know that dude's staying in some kind of resort somewhere and then walking up in his sandals and telling people what to do, right? Like, there's no way he's actually roughing it in a camp. But uh, Essentials takes on a, a couple different meanings. Uh, my wife and I just had a baby three weeks ago today. Yeah, Riggins. Uh, everybody's doing well. But um, it's funny how you like, the Essentials just kind of change. Like, I'll call my wife on my way home at like four or five o'clock. I'm like, hey, how's your day been going? She's like, good. Um, I was like, what do you want for dinner? Uh, I'm, I'm already hungry. Oh, wow, it's, it's early. Are you She's like, yeah, I didn't eat lunch. It just, it just kind of left my mind. It's like, oh, wow, okay. The essentials kind of change when you have a little human that you're trying to keep awake. But one of the things that, that's pretty interesting about essentials um, is that if you take them away, things start to shift, right? Like you might be able to do a, a couple of days or a couple of hours without some essentials, but if you go weeks, if you go months, if you go a long time without essentials, everything's going to shift and get out of whack, right? We think about it when we, when we talk about like physical things. If I take away water, you're not going to feel very good. This afternoon, Logan and I share an office and we were in the office and it was that like post-lunch, like three o'clock, I'd worked, I'm tired. I was like, I either need to like take a nap or go on a walk. And I was like, I think instead I'm going to eat a granola bar. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but Logan's like, no, you need to drink water. You're probably just dehydrated. And I was like, you're probably smarter than I am. Drank some water, felt great. Like, you can only go, like, a couple of days without water. You can only go, like, 40 days without food, and that, like, the thought of that would be absolutely terrible. But when you start to take away essentials, things shift, right? And that's just food. That's the essentials. That's the things that you know about every day. When that happens, you know about that. But that happens not just in the physical things. That happens in emotional things. To think about someone who's had their security taken away from them, and then they're in a secure spot again, and that security starts to kind of shift and change. Well, that person starts to panic. Why? Because that essential of security is starting to leave them again. So things are going to change. Things are going to shift. Things are going to move on. My, my question tonight is, spiritually, in your soul, and in your heart, what's an essential? What's the most important thing? What are the things that we can't move on from? What are the things that are back to basics? Drinking water, breathing air that we just can't move on from. Listen, I, I hope that every time you come, whether you're bringing a friend or you need it for yourself, that you come to young adults, that you'll hear the gospel, nothing else, that we are broken and we need Jesus to come in and save us because we can't do it on our own. That's what the gospel is. And that's essential. That's the thing that we can't move on from. It's the air I, air I breathe. It's the water that I drink. It's the thing that I don't want to move on from. We're in Ephesians 5 tonight. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If not, uh, it's going to be on the screens. There should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. Or if you go and download the High Street app in the App Store, it's going to have my notes in there, and you can, you can kind of keep along with that. But in Ephesians 5, what Paul's doing in Ephesians, he's a guy that's been helping plant churches. He's not just being a builder of churches in brick and mortar, he's building up people. So what he would do is he would write these letters to people and encourage them, admonish them, help fix things that, that are a little off. 
And when he writes to the Ephesians, these were people that he spent three years with, and then he gets word that they've kind of like lost their fire a little bit. Like they're not excited about the things that were important to them. So he, he writes Ephesians in a way that is just reminding them of the basics. And, and if you've never like opened the Bible, you've never, this is all new to you, man, read Ephesians. Read Ephesians 2. It's going to tell you who you are and who God is. If you've been out of church for a while, or if you're like, man, I'm, this is all kind of like rushing back. I did it in high school, or like this is, I'm, I'm trying to do what's right. Like read Ephesians 4 about what the church is supposed to be, about what that brotherhood and sisterhood that God creates is supposed to be. But in Ephesians, he's writing to them about a people who've lost their passion. They've moved past the essentials. And in Ephesians 5, he talks a lot about love. He talks a lot about love and why that's essential. In Ephesians 5, we're going to read, sorry, we're going to read verse 15 and 16. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. When he says, hey, be careful then how you walk, he's saying, be careful then how you live. And really, you could kind of take this text and kind of break it up because there's two phrases in the middle that the, the first and last sentence really make up what that sentence is. That if you could read it and say, look carefully then how you walk, how you live, because the days are evil. Um, be careful how you walk. Um, I have a, a three year old who'll be four in October, a one year old who will be two in a couple of weeks, and they love to play this game that we made up. I'm sure you've played it before. It's called The Floor is Lava. We have two couches. We throw pillows in between, and we say, the floor is lava, and they hop between the pillows to get to the next couch. It's really creative. You should try it sometime. Netflix is thinking about picking up something. Um, but it, it, it's funny to watch because, one, I don't know if they know what lava is, but they're afraid of it, so it's what they do. But they'll like hop, especially the three-year-old, like he's pretty good, I can like space him out and he'll jump and it's pretty good. But sometimes my one-year-old will just be like, floor's lava, and then he just like, he doesn't care. Like he's just like, we're going from couch to couch, everybody's doing it, this is a good time. Like that, that's, that's one way of looking at this verse. The, the, the days are evil. It, it, we don't just naturally walk on safe ground is what, kind of what he's arguing. When I was three, my family got um, a, a brown, a chocolate lab, best dog in the world. Her name was Brittany. I'll still, I don't think I can ever get another dog because she's the best dog of all time. Um, but we had a pretty big yard and Brittany was pretty good. And my parents told us like, hey, you can keep this dog as long as you guys take care of it. So, you know, I grew up just helping take care of the dog. You did the uh, feed it in the morning. You would sweep up because it shed a lot. So we would sweep up after the dog. We'd take the dog on walks. We'd brush her hair to get all the, all the extra hair off. It, it, it was fine. The thing that I was not in on was going in the yard and picking everything up. Um, that just doesn't go away on its own. You have to go out there and do it yourself. Now, our yard was pretty big. My parents had like almost a half acre. So the backyard was big enough that like, if you kind of relax on your chores for a little bit, you'd still be okay. But when Brittany got old, she just started using this part of the yard that was right off of the porch, and it was, it was like a, a, a dense landmine area, if you know what I'm saying, okay? Big dog, small area. And you had to be careful because you, if you didn't do your chores for a while, if you didn't pick up everything, we'd have some friends over for a barbecue or something, and you'd end up going out there, and you're like, oh, hey, you need to be careful how you walk. Why? The days aren't evil, but that's evil, like, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, bad things are going to happen, and it's going to follow you around. We understand it in that context. But when it comes to the context of our lives, I think we can buy into the idea that the days are evil. That I, the, the idea of evil is like, 
evil villain in the tower, like that doesn't really affect me. Like the word evil, like I think one of the things that our generations bought into quite a bit is the idea of like, is it really that bad? Whatever that thing is, I think one of the things that Satan's most effective at is looking at whatever that thing is and saying, is it really that bad? It's not, I mean, you're, you're not like going full bore. You're not like all the way in. You're not 100% that thing. It's just a little bit. Is it really that bad? And you dip your toe in and it's like, man, that's not terrible. Felt good. Looked good. People around me are doing it. And that voice of, is it really that bad? Goes from dipping your toe in to a place that you never wish you could have been. Be careful how you walk. Why? Because the days are evil. The Bible has some strong words about sin. Pastor Eddie spoke a couple weeks ago and he spoke from Genesis 4-7 that it says, sin crouches by the door waiting. You don't crouch by a door waiting for good things, right? You don't do that. You're going to scare somebody. You're looking to hurt somebody. It crouches because it wants to seem small. It wants to convince you that it's not that big of a deal. Wow, I walked in, walked out, didn't see anything. Not that big of a deal. Is it really that big of a deal? It's crouching. It's waiting. John 10.10 says that the thief, our enemy, Satan, comes for three purposes. To steal, kill, and destroy. And I think we have to answer the question in our hearts and in our minds, is it really that big of a deal? Because our enemy has a plan. His thoughts towards you are not for your good. His hope for you, his mind about you is made up and it is that he will steal from you. He will kill you and he will destroy you. Where I can look at the days are evil and go, yeah, but it's not that bad. He has a plan. He has a hope for your life. To steal, kill, and destroy. Are we going to take this seriously? Is this something that we're going to think about? Is this something that we're going to be carefully, the way that we walk, the way that we live, so that we don't end up with a life of theft, death, and destruction behind us? He says, Not as unwise. Don't live in an unwise way, but live in a wise way. That next verse, he says, make the best use of the time. Man, that's one of those things that time is the one thing that you cannot get back. You can't go back and go, well, I'll just invest more. No, 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 that's money. You can't do that. You can buy new things. You can't go back to five years ago. College freshmen, There are probably some things that you wish you knew your freshman year of high school that if you could go back and talk to yourself and say, hey, be careful. There's some people that you're going to meet. There's some things that you're going to be tempted to do. There's some messages that you're going to send. There's something that you're going to put. Be careful. It's not just the little bit that you thought it was. The days are evil. Time is that one thing that we can't get back. These verses say this idea that look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of our time. Why? Because the day is evil. It's like Paul is kind of grabbing them by the collar and saying, hey, please listen to what God has for you. 
It is important. You can't just move through life and hope that everything is going to be okay. We don't just drift into a life that gives life to the people around us. We don't drift into hope. You don't drift into, I I woke up and wow, I'm this amazing, life-giving, great-to-be-around, hopeful person that doesn't accidentally happen. I came across this idea, I think it's from a pastor who talked about like, I want to do favors for 80-year-old me. I I want the 80-year-old me to look back at 29-year-old Jared and say, thank you for making that decision. Thank you for making that sacrifice. Thank you for walking carefully. Because the days are evil. The things that could happen could be bad. And here's the thing. He didn't just set up and say like, hey, listen, like, things could get bad. You need to just be, be, be careful. Like, hey, I, I don't want you to leave and go, man, just live the best life that you can because, man, if you screw up, things could be bad. So let's talk about teen pregnancy. No, you, you've heard that before, right? That there's something bigger at play here. He doesn't just tell them like, hey, live the best life that you can. Do everything that you can to do right. We want our lives to mean more. I don't want people to think about me or look at me or to be my 80-year-old self and go, man, he just lived the most moral life that he could. I want to be someone that points to and just to be a signpost to something that's bigger and greater than myself. I want to give life. I want to give hope to the people around me. If my story ends with me, I've missed the point. A signpost doesn't do anything for themselves. They point to something bigger and greater than themselves. I tell the story, me and my wife went to the Grand Canyon on our honeymoon, and we kept seeing signs, hey, Grand Canyon, 70 miles, Grand Canyon, 30 miles, Grand Canyon, 5 miles, Grand Canyon. And you know what we didn't do? We didn't stop by the 70-mile sign and go, Grand Canyon, take a pic, put it on the gram, go home. No, we didn't do that. Why? Because it's a sign. It doesn't matter. I want to get to the end of my life and say, the, the time's short. I want my life to matter. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, I made it about me. No, I want to point to something greater. I want the people around me to say, Jared pointed to life. Jared pointed to purpose. Jared pointed to Jesus because that's what gave me life. Believer, is that what your life has been pointing to? Have you been making the best use of your time? I've got to be honest. This kicked my tail as I looked at like, I'm not making the best use of my time. I make a good use of my time, and I'm trying to rationalize, right? I make the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. The stakes are high. When you don't drink water, when you don't breathe air, the stakes are high. If we move on from the essentials, the stakes are high. He doesn't just tell them, hey, live the best life you can. He says to point to something more, and that's what he says in verse 17. Ephesians 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, understanding that, don't be foolish. This is one of my favorite things that he says, like, hey, just don't be, don't be a dummy. Like, do what you know to be right. When the Bible says the word fool more often than not, it's talking about someone who knows what's right and chooses not to do it. And we all have that friend. It may have been you for a little bit, but you see what the wise thing to do, and then you go, ah, I'm good. And it has its consequences. Why? Because 
The days are evil. We, we, we know what the right thing to do is and we don't do it. But he says, hey, given this information, given that the days are evil, you need to be careful how you walk. You need to make the best use of your time. Don't be foolish. Do what you know to be right. And then he says this phrase. He says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That phrase is one that probably tripped me up as a church kid for years. It sounds like it's got all this like theological things packed in that like the, the will of the Lord seems like it's this hidden thing that God kind of like hid this string through the forest is always kind of how I thought about it in high school. And like, if you lost it for a minute, you're out of God's will and God was mad at you. And if you went right when God wanted you to go left, and if you went to Missouri State as opposed to BBC, or if you dated this girl but didn't date this girl, that God was sitting back going, oh, Jared, don't do it. Oh, he went right. Oh, we'll have to start over next week. Like, God is not sitting in heaven wringing his hands over these moral decisions that you're like, ah, you could do it, you could not. The Bible doesn't speak clearly to it. There's wisdom. There's the right way to do it. And there's doing things for his kingdom. That's not what this is talking about. God, God doesn't live that way, Okay. What it's talking about when it says to understand what the will of the Lord is, is to know the heart of God. That all that he's saying here is, hey, don't be foolish. Don't get confused. Get back to the essentials. Know what the heart of God is. It's what's most important. It's what's most essential. Don't be confused. Don't get sidetracked. Don't move on to something else, church in Ephesus. Know what the heart of God is. I'm going to take you back to Ephesians 5 where he starts this off. In Ephesians 5 verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Can I tell you today that God loves you like a child? Of his. And for me, having three boys, that is hard for me to fathom. That God looks at you and says, oh, I love you like you're my own child. I have people that love my kids, but I feel like there are things, like I, I love my kids more than I think anybody has ever loved anyone ever in the history of time, and I would do anything for them. Like God loves you an amount in a depth, in a way that like, as a, as a human, thinking about my kids, it's like, if I think that about my three boys, and I'm not perfect, my goodness, how much does God love you? Don't be confused about the way that God feels about you. God loves you like a child. There's nothing that you can do in relationship that's going to make you not his child anymore if you're found in him. There's nothing my three-year-old can do or say that's going to make me go, ah, you're, you know, you're gone. He's my son. He'll forever be my son, regardless of how he treats me, regardless of how he views me. He's my son. That maybe you've been in a season that you've been walking away from God, you haven't been close to him, and you're wondering, man, can I show up? Is it going to be awkward between me or God? God loves you like a father. Don't be confused about the way that God feels about you more than you could ever imagine. It says, and walk in love. He's saying all this, hey, imitate God. This is what God does, walk in love. Did you know that God walks towards you in love? 
He doesn't see you where you're at and go, when you figure out your stuff, the mess that you got going on, you come on and you talk to me. No, in Ephesians 2, while we were still dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us. That's good news. Because he doesn't wait for you to figure things out. All it takes is to understand that I'm broken and I need him. And we call out to him and say, God, it's you, it's not me. I need you. I know I'm broken and I need you. That he's walking towards you in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That phrase, gave himself up, it's like you've committed crimes and you're wanted by the police. And instead of you going and paying the price for all the things that you've done wrong, Jesus gave himself up. He's paying the price for your sins. He's paying the price for all of the wrong things that you've done and you have ever do. He gave himself up for us. Did you know that, that God loves you like a child? He walks towards you in love and he sacrificed for you. Do you know that? That's the essential. Those are the things that we cannot, we will not move on from. Don't forget. Don't graduate to something else. When you're having a hard day, when you're trying to remember things, okay, God loves me like a child. He walks towards me and he gave himself up for my crimes, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That Jesus that fragrant offering sentence that in the Old Testament you had to sacrifice a perfect animal to be covered for the things that you did wrong. And Jesus was that perfect sacrifice, perfect, fragrant, sacrifice to God, fully accepted by Him as enough. There's nothing more that you need to do to be considered a child of God than to show up at His feet and say, God, I'm yours. Three weeks ago today, um, at 6.36 in the morning, we had uh, Riggins Bone. We got a, I got a picture of my three kids. If, you sh if I show you my kids, you'll probably like me more. Um, Thatcher on the right, Jetson in the middle, Riggins on the left. Um, cute little boys, they're awesome. But Riggins was born at 6.36 three weeks ago. And uh, pregnancy went fine, like delivery was fine. But when he was born, uh, babe, it's, it's super weird. Um, I know more about pregnancy than I've ever known, and I already still know more than I care to know. Uh, but when a, when a kid is born, they, they, they've never taken a breath before. You know, that's like hard to kind of think through. And like the nurses will kind of pat them. They'll take like a <gasps> big breath. And they go from this like deep purple color to like a regular kind of skin baby color. And Riggins was born, cut the umbilical cord, put him up on mom's chest, and he stayed that purple color. And the nurse is kind of patting his back. Come on, Riggs, come on. Come on, take that big breath. And we held him for a minute, and the nurse said, we gotta get him some oxygen, because he's not breathing. Not well, he was breathing, but not breathing well. They said his breaths are not big. They're, they're labored breathing. And, and she grabbed this little tube, and she put it up next to his nose, and it was this, this oxygen tube. And they, they, they kept him on that oxygen tube, and they said, hey, he's just, we think he's gonna be okay, but we're gonna transition him into, you know, 
regular room by taking him to the NICU. And they took him to the NICU, they laid him on this bed, and they, they put this kind of helmet around him that pumped 100% oxygen. There was nothing else in that, that hood except for oxygen. And they pumped it on, and, and they would take it off for a minute and see how he did and put it back on. And, and he was breathing okay, but he was never taking that big breath. He, he was never just filling up with air, and that, that purple color wasn't quite going away. And eventually things got better. A couple hours, he started taking some big breaths. Things ended up being okay. But it was scary for a minute, right? That he's wearing this hood. He's not breathing well. My wife had to stay in the room. I went with him. I'm just praying. And one of the things after an hour or two, the nurse said, he kept crying. And she just kept saying like, hey, we're not going to feed him yet until he's breathing. She goes, we have to follow the ABCs. And I was like, I don't know what that is. If you're a nursing student, you, you, you probably know it's air breathing and circulation. Didn't, didn't know any of this. She's like, he's got to have air and he's got to be breathing. She goes, he, he can't really eat food if he's not breathing. And I was like, oh, that, that makes a ton of sense. That normally, I mean, to, to think about essentials, I go food first, right? Like food's important, but I completely forgot about breathing. Air, the most important thing. You don't have air for longer than a minute or two, you're gone. That, that, that's just the reality of things. That, that air was what was going to keep him alive. Food, he'll get there. It's, it, it's been a couple hours since he's had any nutrients, but air, he can't go minutes without. Jesus is our spiritual air. This story, his love that bridged the gap from us being far away from him is that spiritual air. You can't move on from it. You don't graduate to something else. You don't get to just move on and go, ah, it's not important to me anymore. No, no, no. Jesus Christ, his love for you, your relationship with him, that is your spiritual heir. That is the essential. Do you have that? Are you breathing that? Because away from him, the days are evil. There's theft, there's death, and there's destruction away from him. But with him, peace, joy, things that we could never get on our own. He's the breath that fills our lungs. We, we can't move on from him. Do you have that today? Will you bow your heads where you're at?